Welcome to the True Crime Squad. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Here we are. It is Wednesday. So is. we have a brand new episode right now. And then, of course, we'll be back at 7 p.m. Mountain for case updates. Uh, interesting things going down. Interesting stuff Lots in the laundry. Ooh, Petito ordeal. Ooh. Well, we'll be talking about that in just a moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. It's on our mm -hmm. docket. Cool. Yes, it is. Uh, but before that, we wanted to share that we have some brand new merch drop over on our Yes, SP. we do. So we have a brand new shirt design. So it's I love it. Crime Squad. Yeah, with the, uh, the fingerprint. I love it. I love the fingerprint. I love the rainbow fingerprint. I think it's so cool. Yeah, we'll so definitely be needing that. one of these. Yeah, so you can get that on any of our t-shirts. And we also rolled out some hats. Yay! People yeah. have been asking for hats. I think that's great. They have. So we've got black and white, and they're also the True Crime Squad uh, with the, the rainbow fingerprint uh, logo. So you can find those over at on our Etsy store. You can get there easily. By going to truecrimesquad.com and just uh, click on our merch link there and it'll take you over to the Etsy store. So yeah, just wanted to make sure you guys knew that. Uh, sometimes I'm good at getting stuff made and not good at getting them posted. So <laughs> <laughs> good job. You're following all the way through. Right here I am. Right on track. Uh, yeah. So that's what's up. We also are getting ready for our only winter market we're doing this year uh, on Sunday. And that's here in Idaho Falls, Idaho. It is the Yule Market. And we are super excited. It's from 11 to 5 for uh, local friends that might want to come and say hello. And it is at a hotel this year, which I think is going to be great. It's at the Holiday Inn and Suites. Nice. From 11 to 5. She's got 45 vendors. And we had a blast at this event last year. It was we by it was far so our favorite. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you are local. And it's way bigger this yes. year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in this hotel, uh, yeah, it's just going to be good. Every time I've done an event. Space was hotel, so tight last year. This is going to be way better. I think so. Well, we doubled our booth space too because we like to spread the hell out. So. <laughs> yes, we do. It's going to be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, with all of that being said, uh, Christy, I'm going to kick it over to you for some WTF news. Yeah. What the fuck, Brian Laundry's parents? <laughs> and I know we've all been saying what the fuck to Brian Laundry's parents ever all since while. the news yeah. broke that Gabby Petito was missing and this whole thing went down. But some stuff has come out in the lawsuit, mm -hmm. the civil lawsuit against them and their attorney, Steve Bertolino. That literally is, is it's enraging, okay? Mm -hmm. finding out what they know and when they knew it. So 
in the lawsuit, now remember, this is alleged information, but they're saying that they can prove that this is the case. Uh, what they're saying is that uh, a frantic phone call happened three weeks before Gabby's remains were found uh -huh. from Brian to his parents, telling them that Gabby was gone. Now, what does gone mean, you may ask? Uh -huh. Well, gone, this call happened on August 29th of 2021. So uh -huh. three weeks before they found Gabby's body. He said Gabby was gone and he needed a lawyer. Oh, my God. So gone and needs a lawyer really can only mean one thing. Yeah. So that was on August 29th. On September 2nd, the Laundries uh, sent Steve Bertolino a retainer, which is a fee mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, procure him as their attorney. Mm -hmm. They do believe that um, Brian Laundrie's parents actually spoke to Steve Bertolino on August 29th, the day mm -hmm. that Brian called them. And... Here's the other thing that also happened. Uh, Bertolino then entered into a fee agreement with a criminal defense law firm in Wyoming. So Bertolino is in Florida. Gabby's body, of course, was found in Teton, Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And so not only did they retain Steve, Steve turned around and got Brian, a criminal defense attorney in Wyoming. Wow. Yeah. We don't know how they know this stuff, but they seem to know quite a lot about uh -huh. what has happened and who said what and when. Um, it is absolutely hideous to me. Uh-huh. All that, the while, Gabby's um, laying dead in Grand Teton National Forest, and Brian yeah. is pretending to her parents that she's not. That she's fine. And he's texting them from her phone and, you know, doing all of this stuff. Right. Tries to indicate they're going on to Yosemite. Yeah. Yes. And the laundry is, you know, later saying they didn't know. They didn't know where the body was. They didn't know any of this stuff. When, of course, mm -hmm. they did. They knew what state she was in. They knew what state she was in. Why would they get a defense attorney in Wyoming? Why? Because they know. Mm -hmm. They knew that Brian killed Gabby in Wyoming. In Wyoming. Three weeks before her body was found. Yep. With Three no consideration whatsoever weeks. for Gabby and Gabby's family. Well, it's, also. It's so sickening. Absolutely it is. But also for the authorities that were searching for Gabby. Frankly, right. I think that Teton County uh, Park Service should be suing them or, or the National Park Service should be suing them for all Everybody of the time was... and money wasted when they yeah. knew exactly where she was all the while. They sure did. They sure did. And what do they do? Okay, fine. They obtain an attorney. I would probably have done the same thing for my kid. And then I would have immediately reported to the police. Mm -hmm. There's a big problem. I'm going to yep. need help. Yeah, get him his legal representation. Of course, that's his right. Yeah. But then that's where you stop. Right. You don't report to the police. You don't tell her family. You don't do anything to assist in this situation mm -hmm. other than 
cover his ass. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, you lie blatantly to the faces of anyone who asks you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sickening. It's mm-hmm. it's not like this is surprising. We all knew that this was what the case was. But to see it on paper and know that not only did they retain him, but then he turned around and retained a defense attorney in Wyoming on Brian's behalf is horrifying to me. These people did not give a shit about the human being that their son murdered. Not in any way did they care about her. No. Nor did they really even care about what was best for Brian, because getting him an attorney is only part of the situation here. Mm -hmm. When you let him drive himself back all the way across the country, Mm -hmm. using her debit card and faking texts from her phone, pretending to be her to her family. Yeah. It's so sick. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder Brian Laundrie did what he did. It's no wonder he is he was, you know? Right. This is who raised him. Yeah. Uh, just makes me so sick and angry but that whole the it's very damning yeah as far as this lawsuit is concerned that that attorney retained another attorney for brian in wyoming Mm -hmm. exactly what had happened and they knew where Mm -hmm. they knew he didn't go on to yosemite because yosemite ain't in wyoming friends nope uh it's just it's it's enraging Mm -hmm. yes it is such terrible people and they were such terrible parents Mm -hmm. to this be their response yeah well good on the potatoes for pushing yes and making all of this information public and yeah just exposing all of this this is exactly what needs to happen it is it's exactly what needs to happen um uh, you know Thanks, you know, also to Steve Bertolino. Fuck you, jackass. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to represent your client. It's entirely another to cover up a murder. And to put those people through as much trauma as they went through over this. And to put all the authorities searching for her body through all of this in a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Dangerous terrain, dangerous territory. I mean, what if people had been killed looking for her because people get killed in Grand Teton National Park all the time. Sure. It's just there was no care at all for anybody. And honestly, I don't think there was any care for Brian either. This was about them covering their own asses more Mm -hmm. than anything. I really think. Yep. So as usual. Well, sure it was. When Brian slipped off to kill himself, what did they do? Nothing. 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 They didn't protect him. This wasn't about protecting him. This was about protecting themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, they literally just let him disappear into that reserve, knowing full well that he was going to take his life. Yep. Just the total lack of any heart or empathy or care for anyone but themselves is disgusting. Yeah, it is. And with that... Speaking of disgusting, I'm gonna kick off, <laughs> kick the mic back to you for our unfucking believable main case. Mm-hmm. Well, we have had another crisis here, uh, here in our area, and yeah. on Thursday morning, we all woke up to well, Friday morning. We all woke up to Amber Alerts that there was a missing mm-hmm. child 
and a murdered mama and a dad on the run. That's the original uh, story was. Uh, Baby Zeke was missing. Jeremy Albert Best was also, uh, it appeared to be on the run with little Zeke. And mom, uh, Callie Randall, was murdered. And that's what we do initially. And, of course, everyone was very, very concerned for the baby. Uh, And our concerns only got more intense as the day wore on and more information came out. I'm going to start at the beginning. And the beginning was Thursday afternoon in a little tiny area called Swan Valley that has a tiny little general store. And Jeremy Best uh, was wandering around that store completely naked. And the police had to come and get him and take him out of there. So here's a very brief clip of that. Now, consider it was about 30 degrees that day. Mm -hmm. Winter winter in Idaho and Swan Valley particularly is in the mountains and it's Mm -hmm. very cold. And we have a man wandering around naked in stores. Well, that doesn't seem normal, does it? No. So this is in Bonneville County. So the, a Bonneville County Sheriff's deputy uh, either transported or ambulance transported Mr. Best into Idaho Falls to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center. And apparently was only there a brief time. And it sounds like, and we don't know this for sure, but it's sounding like from people who know her that it is Callie that picked him up and took him back home. So that this is where there's a real, well, let's go back to, let's get back to this. I'm gonna tell the rest of the story and then we'll come back to yeah. the, the challenge here, mm-hmm. okay? So at some point later in the afternoon, she took him home. Um, it's probably a 45 minute drive from Swan Valley to uh, Ermac and then the, the hospital. And then from the hospital back to Victor where they lived was another good hour. And so, you know, there was a few hours worth of time in between here, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently around 1130 p.m. on Thursday night, 911 dispatch received a call in Teton County in Victor uh, that was a hang up. But the dispatcher could hear that there was some kind of a domestic uh, incident taking place. So she sent the police over there. When the police got there, they discovered Callie Randall had been shot and killed and then, uh, you know, discovered that her husband, Jeremy Best, was gone in their black Tahoe with their child, their nine-month-old little boy, Zeke. Callie was about six months pregnant. And that's when the manhunt for Jeremy started. That's when the Amber Alert started. So throughout the whole day of Friday, people were looking, wondering, there's only a few roads in and out of that area. He could have gone mm. out through down the Jackson Pass. He could have gone out through Big Piney. He could have come out through Highway 33 and come back through Rexburg, where I live. There's not a lot of ways to get out of there. And mm-hmm. so there was some hope that some there'd be a webcam somewhere that would pick him up. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. Saturday morning, a couple of hunters in Bonneville County came across a man 
bare naked in a sleeping bag, sleeping along the side of the road. Again, it's winter. It's cold. In the winter, in a sleeping bag on the side of the road. Yeah. So they, of course, called the sheriff's office. The sheriffs came out and discovered Jeremy Best. And unfortunately also discovered the vehicle and baby Zeke. We don't know what the cause of death for Zeke is yet. Jeremy has not been charged for Zeke's death yet. Uh, They're awaiting autopsy. Yeah, that'll be coming. Um, That's caused some confusion for people. What they need to understand is that what Jeremy's facing charges in Teton County for the murder of Callie, for the murder of the unborn baby, and for the use of a weapon there. Now, the new charges uh, for baby Zeke's death will be out of Bonneville County. So it's two different things. That's part of the reason the charges aren't there yet, but also they're waiting for an autopsy. So if you're wondering why these have all kind of played out separately, that is why. Well, and Callie's cause of death was very apparent because it was a gunshot wound. Uh, But they are saying they needed an autopsy on baby Zeke to determine how he died. Yeah. This is Jeremy's booking photo. Looking real wild. Yeah. I wanted to show you this is Callie and little Zeke. Uh, Zeke so was sad. very loved by both of his parents. And this is a picture of Jeremy and Callie on, during better times, obviously. Yeah. I'm going to show you a bit of his arraignment, but I wanted to talk a little bit first about how we got here. Before you go on thinking that this man is just a monster that just viciously murdered his wife and his child, he wasn't. By all accounts from their friends, their family, uh, her family, his family, people thought the world of both of them. And absolutely nobody thought this could have happened. Uh, I read some comments from his sister in a forum saying that... uh, Jeremy had had a lifetime of mental health challenges and had also had some significant addiction challenges earlier in his life. And yet he had never, ever been violent. Her mother was in daily contact with Callie and with uh, Jeremy, and they loved little Zeke to pieces. They were so excited to celebrate his first Christmas and then welcome their new baby. They're home here in about last three months and yet here we are everyone's gone and one person in prison or or headed to prison and how the hell did we get here yeah so we have to back up to the hospital actually i'm going to show you a few minutes of the arraignment first i'm not going to show it all it's long Uh, it's like 12 minutes long i don't want to show all of it mostly i just wanted to show you jeremy and his behavior it took them a while to get him on the Zoom call. Yes. When they did, he was shirtless. I'm guessing they wrestled him into a pair of pants and it's the best they could do. Because uh, somewhere in his broken brain right now, he doesn't need clothes. Chris, you're going to tell us a little bit more about that too. Uh, But let's take a look at a few minutes of the arraignment. Um, Bonneville County Jail and Mr. Jim Archibald, who has been appointed pursuant to Rule 44.3 as counsel for Mr. Best 
and then Mr. John Malik, our Teton County uh, Public Defender, who's um, assisting Mr. Archibald. I also have Mr. Loretta Welch, Deputy Prosecuting Attorney for Teton County, and our court reporter is Ms. Amy Bland. Uh, first thing I need to do is advise Mr. Best of his rights. Uh, Mr. Wright, you have the absolute right to remain silent and the privilege against self-incrimination. Uh, the state cannot force you to testify against yourself. Any statement you make is part of the record and may be used against you. You have the right to represent yourself and present your case without the aid of an attorney. You have the right to hire your own attorney to represent you in this matter. Um, however, in this case, because of the nature of the charges, the court has um, appointed counsel to represent you. Under the law, you are presumed innocent unless you plead guilty or proven um, as such. The charges pending before you are felony matters. Um, if you are charged with a criminal complaint, um, which you are in this case, there must be a preliminary hearing within 14 days if you're in custody or 21 days if you're not in custody, unless you waive that time period or unless it's otherwise stayed for other reasons. At the preliminary hearing, the court must prove that it's more probable than not that you committed the alleged crimes for which you've been charged. The state meets this minimal burden. You'll be bound over to the district court to answer for the charges, and that is where you will enter your plea. Um, if you were to be charged by a grand jury indictment, you would be arraigned on that indictment before another court date um, if that were to occur. You have the right to a public and speedy trial or court trial, jury trial or court trial. If your case goes to trial, the burden would be on the state to prove you guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. At trial, you can question any witness who's going to testify against you, call your own witnesses to testify for you, as well as present evidence on your own behalf. What are the charges? I'll, I'll get to that momentarily, okay? If you are not satisfied with the decision of the court, you may appeal that uh, decision to the next higher court, as long as that notice of appeal is filed within 42 days of the court's decision becoming final. Where you're in custody, you have the right to reasonable communication with your attorney and immediate family members. Okay, that's probably all we need of that. I just wanted you guys to get a good sense of uh, what he looks like and is, and is doing. Is. Yeah. Not a person in his right mind at all. No. And, and for those of you that were out listening and not watching, uh, the entire proceeding, he was, he couldn't stop moving. He was kind of sideways. He was digging at his hair and at his beard. And he wasn't just, looking into the camera at all. No. Until like very startling, he yells, what are the charges? And that was the first, you know, like moment that he spoke or anything. Uh, he does at some point, uh, there's a few times in this uh, proceeding that he cries a little bit. Uh, you might have also noticed that his uh, public defender is none other than Jim Archibald, who, of yep. course, was Lori Vallow's attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, he gets a lot of these hard ones. He does. he does. He's probably the most experienced public defender we have in this whole area. Mm -hmm. And this could be a capital case. And so he would definitely be the first chair for public defense on in, in it. Yeah. So uh, no big surprise that he immediately requested a competency evaluation because Jeremy right. Best is not competent and no. will very likely be transported to a state mental hospital forthwith because that's where he belongs at this point. It is. So let's back up because what the hell happened? What so we have... Happened? 
a Jeremy Best naked in a store. That's indicating uh, a psychotic break. Uh, and the nakedness is a, is a real clue, Christy. Talk to us about that. So you may not, you may or may not have heard of the term grave disability. So when someone is evaluated to be held in a hospital, usually it's, are they a risk of harm to themselves or others? Or, and every state's different, but Idaho recognizes grave disability. Grave disability means that a person's mental health is deteriorated to the point that they cannot take care of themselves or keep themselves safe. Like, wandering around naked in public in 30 degree weather is grave disability. He is not cognizant of the fact that he could get frostbite or die of exposure. He's, he's not well enough to recognize those things. Also, um, the nudity in psychosis, people have a hard time. And, and, and some people with schizophrenia all the time, they don't register their own body temperature. They can't tell if they're hot or cold. Like if you have, if you live in a big city or have been to one and you see that there are a lot of homeless folks walking around with big coats on in the summertime, they're likely someone with uh, schizophrenia or some other um, psychotic disorder. And they don't, you know, they feel hot when they're cold. Their brains are not registering information correctly. And so my first thought, and my wife too, Rhonda, who's a counselor, we talked about this, and our first thought was, well, this is obviously grave disability. You can't be walking around in the winter in public, you know, in naked. Like, anybody in their right mind would not be doing that. Right. That should have been a big red flag, if not to the police, most definitely to the doctor, but even to the police, it should have been. Training is provided, whether it's followed or listened to, to teach our law enforcement about how to understand and recognize when something's going on here. And it doesn't matter what the cause of the psychosis is, you know, there's a lot of speculation that this was meth induced or whatever. It doesn't matter at this point, the guy is psychotic and he's not safe. He cannot even yeah. keep himself safe enough to be wearing clothing and shoes in the wintertime in Idaho where it's cold as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So after he's transported to the hospital, obviously the hospital saw him briefly and let him leave. That's where the big problem comes in. In Idaho, when someone is identified by the police and then, and then of course, taken to the hospital as being uh, with a grave disability or, you know, in a mentally uh, unstable state, having a psychotic break, one of two things can happen. Either the police can request a 72-hour hold, in which case he would have been put into a mental uh, health care facility to determine what the hell's going on with him, mm -hmm. or the hospital could have done that. It is some paperwork. It is a process. It is, it's going to take you some time. It's going to take a little work to get it done. But that is the typical procedure, right? That one of those two things could have happened. Yeah, yeah. So initially, the police officer, however, Jeremy was transported, because we've seen both either the police transported him or an ambulance did. I, it, it should have been an ambulance, but, you know, I don't know. What should have occurred is that the police officers followed the ambulance to the hospital, went in and did the paperwork to have him held. Mm -hmm. Because you can't just hold somebody against their will without a reason. Mm 
Right. And the police have the ability to immediately hold somebody to then be evaluated. Their case goes before a judge to determine if they need to be held for longer. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's protections for rights, but the police are supposed to be able to identify individuals who should be held for their own safety or the safety of others mm -hmm. and do the paperwork. And, and what this frequently comes down to is people don't want to take the time to do the paperwork mm -hmm. officers and they think oh, i'm just going to give turn this person over to the hospital and the hospital will deal with it mm -hmm. well then and we know that jeremy was seen by a physician in the er the hospital has come forward and admitted that so the police didn't ask for a hold so then the er doctor could have done the same and should be trained to they're a, they're a medical doctor they should be able to tell when someone is having a psychotic break. They should be able to tell by looking at this man that something is very wrong here, mm -hmm. but they didn't do it. We have, we have a system, the structure exists and it exists in every state to some extent, but it's different from state to state. But our state allows for a physician to say, we're going to hold this guy for 72 hours and we're going to ask for an evaluation. So that would give the hospital the ability to then put him in their psychiatric unit, which they have one. Um, for 72 hours. And in, in that time, then um, a designated examiner who is a state employee, my wife has been a designated uh, junior designated yeah. examiner many times, mm -hmm. uh, would come in and evaluate him and determine, yeah. is this someone who needs to be held in the hospital? And if so, then that person makes a recommendation to the senior designated examiner who is a physician, mm -hmm. who would then also evaluate this person uh, and then go before a judge to determine what to do. Now, those evaluations, you have to get a court order to do the evaluation in the first place. That's why either the police officer or the doctor can say, we're going to hold this person for 72 hours to give time to get the court order from the judge for the evaluations to happen. So there's this process in place to um, make sure that we're not just sending dangerous people back out onto the streets, someone that's a danger to themselves or other people. And it, when you are so um, mentally broken at the moment that you cannot even wear clothes in the winter, you are not safe. You cannot keep yourself safe. Therefore, you cannot keep anyone else safe either. Mm -hmm. So why neither of those two things happened, I cannot fathom. I honestly can't. With Unless they just said, oh, this is just meth. I don't care if it's just meth. It's psychosis mm -hmm. that makes a person very dangerous to themselves and other people. And there's a structure to resolve that that was completely ignored. Was right. not used. And to be fair, we don't know if it was meth. There's just rumors. No. There's, there's just rumors. rumors. And we don't know. It, this kind of stuff, you know, people like to throw it off. Oh, well, he was just high. Well, mm -hmm. okay. But that evaluation happened on Friday. Yeah. He went on the run until Saturday. That court hearing was Tuesday. Mon yeah, Tuesday. Or Monday. Yeah. Monday. It was Monday. Yeah. Monday. And he so, was still acting like that. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, it, that if he was me... using, it wasn't just meth. It would have been yeah. uh, likely a psychotic episode induced by meth if he was using meth. Or right. And again, we don't know that. Of other reasons. The bottom yeah. line is the reason doesn't really matter. Jeremy Best was an unsafe person to be out in the public. It was obvious that he was. We've had a lot of questions also, well, why wasn't he arrested for the public nudity? Mm -hmm. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, Idaho passed a law to uh, make it illegal for police 
to arrest someone for a simple misdemeanor. So what happens now, and there are reasons why this is good and there are reasons why this is bad. This yeah. prevents people from sitting in jail for small crimes and losing their jobs and you know needing to come up with large bonds and stuff like yeah. that. And so there are good reasons for it. But in this mm -hmm. situation, it was a bad reason because the police could not have put him in jail. The only thing they could do would be to write him a citation that would give him a court date mm -hmm. because public nudity is a misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't put him in jail. So they had to hold him at the hospital or the doctor hold him at the hospital. And if the doctor didn't hold him, then he's just free to go. And then there's no one following up. There's no one paying attention to what's happening next, which we all know what happened next. And it's horrifying. Yeah. Our system completely failed. And one of the big reasons that our system fails on a regular basis is because people don't understand what the system is. They don't understand that we that every state has rules around being able to hold someone against their will if they are unsafe. And then the professionals in the situation have to be willing to do the work and have to be trained well enough to recognize the signs. And, you know, yes, the police totally fucked up. Yeah. And then so did the hospital. Like Absolutely. this, he fell through the cracks twice, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yep. In and a way that people died. People died. Yeah. Children. There died. was a statement a by, yeah. Uh, the hospital released an ass covering statement. They said, we are heartbroken by the tragedy that has rocked our community in the recent days, and we join many in our area in extending our deepest sympathy to the families and the loved ones of Callie and Zeke. Like all hospitals, we follow specific standards of care when we assess and treat individuals, including those with behavioral health concerns. Idaho law limits law enforcement, hospitals, and health care providers from placing individuals on a protective custody hold unless specific clinical criteria are met. When these factors are not present or apparent at the time of the care process, hospitals cannot legally hold a patient against the, they or their family's wishes. That is only kind of true. I mean, that's, that is assuming that their clinical uh, parameters weren't met, but uh, we feel like that is just flatly untrue at this point. You know, I've, I've talked to Rhonda about this. Rhonda has talked to other mental health professionals in our area, and we're all in the same consensus. Uh -huh. This guy should have been held. The dude and was talking crazy and naked in a local store. Took Taken there. He's still talking the crazy winter. days later. Yeah. There, no. Yes, your parameters were met. You didn't meet them. Yeah, they were met, but uh, you know, it's a pain in the butt. It is to, to, to hold somebody mm -hmm. and then go through the whole process of getting the court order and then, you know, getting the evaluations and stuff. It It's work. And somebody had to care enough to be willing to do the work. And it appears that no one did in this situation and it resulted in deaths. Yep. It's so disheartening to me because We've seen a lot of situations like this just in the last few months that a uh, shooter in Maine who um, had been evaluated, had been in a hospital, had been had his weapons 
his weapons were supposed to be taken. He was an army reservist and the army had said he can't have any access to weapons. His mental health is too fragile. Mm -hmm. The uh, police did not follow through afterward in taking his guns from him. Guys, he and didn't answer he, the door. He so... murdered 18 people and him yeah. and then killed himself plus in injuring many more because they did not utilize their system to protect him and the community. And that's exactly what happened with Jeremy Best. They did not utilize the system to protect Jeremy and the community from Jeremy. It's so aggravating to me because these things are preventable. If somebody's willing to take the 30 minutes to do the damn paperwork, you know, we, we see tragedies like this all the time and everyone's like, well, there's just nothing we can do. That's bullshit. There's actually quite a lot that we can do. If the people who are in that position actually willingly did their jobs. Absolutely. And that did not happen here. Now, now, they couldn't predict that Jeremy was going to go out and murder his wife and children. But they couldn't predict he wouldn't. Right. What they knew is they also that couldn't he was not well. Right. They also couldn't have predicted that he might have just wandered out in the snow and died of exposure because he could not keep himself safe. I mean, yeah. he was enough of a risk just to himself in that state to have been held. Yeah. It's just it's enraging to me because I know that Absolutely. this I know the structure is there. I know the police know the structure is there and I know the hospital knows the structure is there. They know it. Mm -hmm. They know who to call at the Department of Health and Welfare to get the help with this. There are people on call 24/7. Rhonda's done it for years. She yep. has. There are people out there to help. But if they don't make the call, yep. This is what happens. Yep. And obviously, Jeremy wanted to leave. Jeremy's wife, it sounds like, helped him get home. Well, unfortunately, what else shouldn't... could she do? Right in that situation, you know. Yep. Well, nothing. Nothing really. They weren't going to keep him, and she knew she couldn't let him be alone. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's so, so sad. It is terribly sad, and obviously, their community is just horrified. The whole community at large is horrified. Uh, and, and just so sad about all of it. Uh, she was a silversmith. She has a sweet little Instagram where she was showing the work that she was doing. And she also had a blog and was quite the little writer and poetess. Really, really neat person. Mm -hmm. uh, her, her family and his are just so shocked, so devastated. It's horrible. And we are also just so sad for all of them for this whole situation but again we have to demand that things are done better and obviously we don't mm -hmm. have all of the details of this case yet we may not ever have the details of this case because it is dealing with HIPAA rights and things like that we'll we'll see we'll see we'll definitely be we'll tracking see. this one I obviously mean, I will just predict now that the hospital is going to get a massive lawsuit Maybe oh. the police too, mm -hmm. um, because the system works if you use it. Mm -hmm. The structure works if you use it. Had they held him mm -hmm. and medicated him and gotten to the bottom of what was causing this psychosis, mm -hmm. would his family be alive today? It's very possible. Mm -hmm. It's For just, sure. and and nobody made the choices to do what Jeremy did, but Jeremy. 
Sure. But the fact yeah. that we have the ability to prevent things like this, and, and the U.S. in general, we suck at prevention. We absolutely suck at prevention. There's so little, and Idaho in particular has so little in place for prevention, that even the little bit that we do have doesn't even get used. It's not it's even bothering so to use it. No. It is. So we'll probably keep screaming this case from the rooftops for all of those reasons. Uh, we will. Injustice for this family. And, of course, uh, we'll see charges coming here for the death of baby Zeke and, and know a little bit more about uh, what happened with yeah. him as well. Uh, we'll keep you abreast. Uh, and the news hadn't, I don't think, reported this, but I did see some of their friends saying that he had also taken one of their dogs with him who was also deceased. Oh, I had not seen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, their dogs were a big part of their world. So... Obviously, rest in peace to Callie and to baby Zeke and their unborn baby as well. And we'll yeah. keep and, and all of our love to Callie's family, to the best family, to all of their friends and family, everyone who's hurting from this uh, tragedy. Yeah. All of our love, obviously. Definitely. Yeah. So, Christy, I am going to kick the mic back over to you for a crime news update. Yes. Let's talk for a minute about Valerie Tyndall. You've probably heard this case. Valerie is a teenager from Indiana who has been missing for five weeks, I think. And um, unfortunately, a body has been located that is believed to be Valerie and a man arrested in her death. His name is Patrick Scott and her remains were found on his property. Uh, uh, Valerie was 17. Oh, it's five months ago, not five weeks, sorry. And they did find her body buried on his property. Mm -hmm. um, they, The police have been looking desperately for her. They have executed more than 50 search warrants trying to determine what happened to her and where she went. Mm -hmm. um, in their investigation, it took them to Patrick Scott, who was actually Valerie Tyndall's neighbor. We don't know exactly what pointed them at him, but their investigation had pointed him there. Um, they searched his property in Arlington, Indiana on Tuesday and found Valerie's remains buried there. Wow. Well, their remains had still, I'm not sure if they've been identified positively by the coroner's office quite yet, but um, they're quite sure that it is her. Uh, he has been arrested on a murder charge and is being held uh, in jail right now. We don't know yet. You know, we haven't heard a lot about pleas and that kind of thing um, yet because it's very new. But uh, Valerie at least has been located for the sake of her family. Yeah. Um, apparently Valerie worked for this man and she hung out with his family. He had a granddaughter who was her friend and, uh, she had gone places with him and his family. Wow. Their family, of course, is heartbroken. Um, I'm just grateful that they've found her so that they don't have to live with not knowing what happened to her as so many people do. 
-hmm. and that he is off the street because he is obviously a very dangerous person. Yeah. But we just want to send all our love to Valerie Tyndall's family. Yeah. And also to his, to the perpetrators or the, the alleged perpetrators family yeah. to the Scott family, because I mean, absolutely no one wants this to be their family member that's done something like this. No, what a horrific shock for all involved. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, that is that. So this is our Wednesday episode. We're going to be back tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain on our live stream over on Facebook and YouTube uh, for case updates. And there you have it. So you guys, uh, please take good care of yourselves. You absolutely deserve it. Thanks for being here. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Bye, everybody.